Your Money Replay from Money FM 89.3. Money and Me on Your Money, only on Money FM 89.3. Good morning and welcome to Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. This is the show where we look at growing your wealth and all the different instruments that exist out there for you to do so. With me today is Christopher Tan, CEO of Provident, Executive Director of Money Owl. And we're going to talk about property investing from the personal finance point of view. Is it a good time to buy into property now? Are there major obstacles to unlocking the value in your property? Christopher, how was your long weekend? I actually went for a staycation, so I had a good break. Oh, that's good. <laughs> First okay. staycation ever in my life. <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful. So you're really fresh. Okay, you know, big news today is Singapore's Q2 GDP down 3.3% quarter-on-quarter annualized versus 2.9%. So it looks like our economy is facing gusty headwinds. Mm-hmm. What is the proper mindset an, an investor should have given the big news today? Well, I think first of all, investor needs to know that you know the stock market is a leading indicator of the economy. And and so right now, I mean, because the government has already announced that this uh, GDP forecast, so, so-called, there's really no point for the investor to try and tr- go in and time the market because the markets will be priced in this possible so-called downturn or some people are calling it a possible recession that is coming. You know, there's no point trying to time it yeah, because the price is already there in the stock market. And really, we should not be too worried about all these short-term uh, economic uh, ups and downs because it, hop- it happens all the time. There's always this cycle, the economy going up, you know, and, and down. And if you are an investor that is investing for the long term, uh, there are enough evidence to show that the stock market always go up in the long run. I mean, that is a fact. And so if the stock market is going to go up in the long run and you are a long-term investor, there's really no need to fear about all these uh, data that are coming out. In fact, if you have been investing, you should be happy, right? Because the markets probably, I mean, subsequently, if people are fearful and there's really a recession and, and people are selling off and the markets are coming now, it's a good time to buy. Right. So there are opportunities out there to be picked up. That's right. Good advice there. Uh, Coming back to our topic today, which is about property investing for the personal, you know, from the perspective of personal finance. What are your views on the current state of the property market here? You know, it's a bit tight right now because a lot of buyers are not really buying. I mean, they are really hit by the cooling measures that the government has been putting in place over the past few years, Mm. Uh, particularly the ABSD, the additional uh, buyer stamp duty, as well as the total debt service ratio, which is TDSR. These are very tough for buyers and there are owners who really want to buy, especially after on-block sale. I mean, there have been quite a few on-block sale recently, but they refuse to go in because of these cooling measures. They're making, uh, I mean, the buying decision has become very difficult because a lot more expensive to buy. Of course, there are some people who have children that they can make use of and they use their children to buy those properties. And of course, there are people whom after the on-block, they have no choice to buy. They will go and buy. But by and large, buyers are not really buying because uh, these measures are tough. In terms of the sellers, uh, they are also unwilling to sell if the buyers are trying to push down the price because they still believe in the Singapore property market. And all these things are causing the transaction uh, to be very low. So, uh, tight situation there, but uh, like I say, overall um, property market right now, not a lot of transactions going on. 
Yeah, early on we started by talking about how it's not a good idea to time the market mm-hmm. that that to do with investments. But what about the property market? Are there some key markers that you can lay out for us when identifying the best time to buy in? Yeah, I mean, if you need a house, like you're a young couple, you know, you're getting married and you are setting up a family yep. or, you know, you just gotten off and on block and if you need a house, you need a house. The best time to buy is now because you need it as long as you are buying within your means. But if you're buying a second property and you buying a third property, you are investing into property. I mean, seasoned property investors know, and this is really, I mean, logic. I mean, if I say this, everybody say, no, this I know also, right? I mean, you don't buy when the properties market are, the property markets are booming. When everybody is going there and pushing the price up, you don't buy. You buy when there is fear. I think one of the key markers that uh, property investors look at, really they look at uh, the property price index and specifically the URA residential property price index and uh, the general view is that when the index go down by about 3 to 4% from the last peak this is usually when buyers enter the market uh, there are also uh, investors out there who are opportunists I mean they go out there they look for on block sale uh, or rather they look for properties that are potential on block uh, candidates and they go in and buy and of course these are people whom they have a lot of cash uh, they can hold on to the property. Not every man in the street can actually do that. Yeah. Yeah. Waited out. Yes, because that's you, right. You don't know. It might not happen ever. Yes, that's right. So, not many people can can do that. But I mean, well, if you have the cash, if you have the money, and you have an eye for looking at opportunities like <laughs> on block, you know, then uh, go for it because it might because it might be a windfall for you. <gasps> oh my goodness me! Okay, tell me what are the benefits of property investing as you see it here in Singapore. Well, it used to be the the golden rule, right? For most of us, I think, growing up, people think buy yeah. the property, get your BTO and then get your EC and then slowly upgrade and then sell it and then hope for an on-block. Yeah. So um, does it still stand? I, I think it's, it's changed a lot. I mean, today, you know, what you can get from the property market is very unlike, you know, our parents' days whereby property prices are really low. I mean, right now, um, I mean, everybody is going in and that makes prices a lot fairer. Yeah, but some benefits of buying from the property market. I mean, firstly, uh, it is uh, 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 I would say a, a safer leverage as compared to other forms of loan because there is a collateral which is your property and it's easier leverage to get from the bank because bank is usually quite happy to lend you the money because there's a collateral and uh, in terms of interest rate this is a lower interest rate uh, kind of loan as compared to other loans of course the real benefit from buying properties I mean, after all the leveraging and all that, it's the rental income you can get from the property, the potential rental income, as well as the potential capital growth. Now, I say potential capital growth because some properties, I mean, it could be flat over a long time. Mm. Yeah, but well, the two benefits, rental income, capital uh, growth opportunities, and uh, this is uh, in a way uh, enlarged because of the fact that you can use a loan. You, You only need to put in a little capital or lesser capital, and then you borrow the rest. So these are some of the benefits. But of course, along with it comes the risk. You help different segments uh, grow their wealth as CEO of Provident and Executive mm. Director of Money Owl. That's right. Um, tell us, in terms of proportion of your portfolio, what, what part of your portfolio do you think property should take up? 
Um, it really depends on your wealth. I mean, a lot of my uh, very high net worth clients, I mean, under the Providence side, I mean, we serve mainly the affluent clients. A lot of them, you know, over time, they have a good portfolio of uh, private properties. I would say at least two to three properties uh, with them. But that only constitute, you know, a small proportion of their overall wealth. You know, uh, the, the biggest I've seen, maybe, I mean, of course, they are outliers. They are people who believe 100% in property. Yeah. yeah, but I would say on average, maybe 30, 40% of their wealth and in property but these, these are the affluent uh, really but an interesting scenario that I've been observing is that a lot of uh, all these high net worth individuals they are beginning to offload their properties in the market because as they get older they really don't want to be a landlord they find it too cumbersome too burdensome to be a landlord yeah because you know they are at that stage of their life whereby they, have to, they want to travel they want to enjoy life and to be a landlord to manage tenants to manage property is just too tough and this is the stage whereby they want to preserve their wealth and they are really just going into safer forms of investments like buying into equities and bonds. Uh, at the money hour side whereby we serve the men in the street, I would say at most you should only have one. And um, you know, even having just one property is going to take up a large part of your total assets. And really after buying that property, you might not have anything left to do other things and uh, you might not have enough money to save uh, for other stuff and you are just really banging all your hope onto just one asset class which is property and if it doesn't work out for you then it's not good and you probably would have wiped out your CPF to pay for this property yeah so for the man in the street I'm a bit reluctant to really recommend property as a form of investment I mean if you want to get a yield there are other uh, capital markets kind of uh, like stock market and bond market for you to invest in which is what the show is all about Christopher yeah. Tan is my guest today he's Chief Executive Officer of Provident a fee only retirement financial advisory and he's also executive director of moneyowl. Uh, and you can find more about them at moneyowl.com.sg what other instruments um, do you advise people um, to look at yeah for both from provident and money owl we main, we mainly use very low cost funds uh, we primarily use uh, dimensional funds at the provident side we use also vanguard index funds we strongly believe in low cost when it comes to investing because high cost eats into the returns here's a question from a listener, Christopher. Mm -hmm. uh, for a couple approaching the MOP in three years, that's the minimum occupation period you have mm -hmm. to hold your HUB flats mm -hmm. for, mm -hmm. would you recommend buying a second property for investment? If yes, should we buy an EC or a condo? And should we aim for rental income or capital appreciation? So there are a few segments or there are a few parts to my answer to this question. So should you buy a second property really depends on whether you are buying within your means, right? I mean, if you're going to buy a second property, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, that is uh, going to eat into your income and it's going to cause your debt level to be so high, then perhaps uh, you shouldn't do it. Yeah, and remember I said earlier that, you know, if you buy a second property and you can't do anything else, yeah, because that's going to take up a large part of your free cash. And then you're just banging on one asset class to make sure that you get it right. That's a bit dangerous. I mean, you're taking a lot of concentration risk there. Now, but let's say you are able to. The next question then is whether you can even uh, qualify yeah, to buy an EC. Because to buy an executive condo, yeah, your household income must be within $12,000 and not many people, I mean, today young couple, you know, sometimes after working for a while, family income is more than that and they don't qualify. The next thing to know is that you cannot buy the EC as a second property yeah, because it's in a way subsidized. So you can't have it as a second property. But let's say you can. 
you know, and you qualify and you can afford it, then definitely buying an executive condo is better than buying a condominium in terms of return because the EC is subsidized and you're buying at a lower rate. You're buying it cheaper. If you're buying it cheaper, it just means that you get a higher rental yield because you're buying cheaper. You're probably collecting the same kind of rent because to the tenant, they don't care whether it's an EC or a condo. They don't really care. They are buying it to stay, right? And so they'll pay the same kind of rent. Yeah, so... Uh, EC definitely better for capital appreciation and definitely for rental yield as well. Generally speaking, of course, it all depends on location and all that. Yeah, but uh, and just to answer the last part on whether should you buy for rental yield and or capital growth, I would say both. Okay, so Singaporeans live uh, in in many different types of housing. Mm-hmm. We just talked about a couple living in HDB, but there's condo, there's landed. When it comes to unlocking their equity, right, mm. unlocking the value of the property, mm. can you talk us through the various schemes and the differences between HDB and private, maybe? Yeah, so generally speaking, as I mentioned, HDB has the best uh, rental yield. Right now, you probably get about 6 to 10% rental yield from uh, renting out HDB. That's fantastic. Mm. But having said that, there are many HDB rules that you need to follow. For example, the MOP of five years and the MOP is the minimal occupational period. And then the rules of renting out, such as the types of tenant they allow, number of tenants allow, the ethnic requirement for HDB flat. All that can make renting a bit tough. But if you, but in terms of rental yield, they are the best. Uh, in terms of capital uh, appreciation, I would say freehold landed property have the best potential capital growth, but miserable yield because you pay a lot of money for it. Right now, I think in a market, you're probably like getting 1% to 2% rental yield from landed property. I mean, that's miserable. But in a boom cycle, the price of uh, private properties go up the fastest. Now, in terms of nine-year condominium, it is easier to rent out as compared to landed property for sure. It has a better yield as compared to the landed property, but not as good as uh, HDB. But the problem with a nine-year condominium is that the capital growth potential is what I call not so consistent. Yeah, I mean, if you buy the right one, right location, you probably get a good capital appreciation. But there are so many nine-year condos, especially at the suburban areas. You know, uh, you might not get a capital, you might not get much capital appreciation over the long run. And as mentioned, if you are going for condo, if you qualify, the EC is better as compared to a nine-year condo. But there are always exceptions. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I can only say very generally, but there are always exceptions. Okay, yeah. I'm going to do a three-in-one question. It's early in the morning. People have opened <laughs> a three-in-one tea. Let's have a three-in-one <laughs> question. And as a HGB lease buyback scheme, the silver housing bonus scheme, renting out rooms for regular income, most people turn to these schemes when they want to. Yeah. When they're looking at retirement and they're thinking of using their flat to help them with uh, different income streams, right? right? So what are some of the things people need to keep in mind if they're thinking of relying on these schemes to grow their wealth? Well, it's a really loaded question. It really loaded three-in-one. One. Yeah, but I'll try and keep it as short as possible. Yeah. Generally, these schemes, especially the silver housing bonus scheme and the enhanced lease buyback scheme, is really for people who might not have enough. Let me say that the people are not so affluent. right? So, silver housing bonus is for people who are prepared to right-size or downgrade uh, to a smaller flat type, up to a three-room flat. Yeah. So, if you downgrade or right-size to a, say, a two-room or a three-room flat, you can then apply for this thing called the silver housing bonus and get up to 20000 of cash bonus per household. How much bonus you get depends on 
how much you top up your CPF retirement account. So let me just put it very simply. So you right size, you get a sum of money, you got to top up your retirement account. Depending on the amount of money you are topping up into your retirement account, you get a 20,000, you can get up to 20,000 cash bonus. Best way to explain this, example. So a couple has got a three-room flat for say 300,000, right? Uh, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Tans. They sell their three-room flat for 300,000. Then they purchase a two-room flexi flat for 85,000, thus unlocking 215,000. They spend about 15,000 for these moving expenses. So their net proceed is 200K right now. So they can top up their CPF RA with 100K. That allows them to get about $700 per month more in terms of monthly payout. They are now left with 100K. But because they top up 100K into their CPF retirement account, they can get up to 20K of silver housing bonus. So that's one way to unlock your property, but you must be prepared to right size. The second is to enhance this buyback. Simply put, this is selling a portion of their remaining lease, HDB lease, back to HDB. Right? So maybe an example will help to explain. Mm-hmm. So say, for example, a couple owns a four-room flat with an existing lease of, say, 65 years. And they decide to sell part of their lease to get a $195,700 in net proceeds. Let's say that, right? And so let's say they top up $146,000 into their RA, and that will give them an additional $800 per month in terms of CPF life payout. So they are now left with 49700 in cash. But because they're selling this lease, they get a 10000 in cash bonus. So in a way, when you go for the silver housing bonus scheme or the enhanced lease buyback scheme, what you are really doing is you're unlocking some money from your house. Mm. You're topping part of it into your CPF RA to get a higher CPF life pay out and by doing that you get some bonus it's not easy to understand over radio but if you want more information you just have to go to the MND or the HDB website everything is there they even have a calculator to calculate how much bonus you get and how much cash you can unlock and all that because a lot of this uh, it's a lot of rules and all that it's not easy to explain leverages on the retirement account yeah of course the third method of course is if you are able to give up some privacy and you have some space at home you can rent out one of your rooms and you know get some money for your retirement. Yeah, long term though. Yeah, That's right. Okay, let's talk a little bit about equity loans when it comes to um, unlocking the value of your flat. Right. Uh, how could these benefit a uh, potential retiree? Yep. So, uh, equity loan basically is you are taking, loan, uh, taking a loan on the net equity of your property. By net equity, I mean market value minus your outstanding loan. Yeah. So, there is a net positive equity and you are taking a loan on it. Another term for a uh, home equity loan is a term loan or equity term loan. Now, so let me use an example to best explain it again. Now, typically the bank, depending on the bank that you bank with, will allow you to borrow 80% of your net property value or your net equity. Okay, but you must first minus off any CPF used for the property purchase. So let's say uh, Mr. Tan, so I'm Tan, right? So uh, Mr. Tan has a property that is valued at 1.25 million, okay. but has an outstanding loan of a quarter million, 250,000. Mm-hmm. So 1 million or 1.25 million value minus 250,000, he has got a net equity of a million. But Mr. Tan has used 600,000 from his CPF to buy this property so far. So let's say the property is valued at 1.25 million. Okay. 80% of the value is 1 million. So has an outstanding loan of a quarter million. So 1 million minus a quarter million 
and he has to minus the 600,000 that he has used for his property from CPF so far. So 1 million minus a quarter million minus 600,000, the maximum loan that he can take is 150,000. That's what home equity loan is all about. And what do people usually take this loan for? Well, they use it to pay down any liabilities that they might have, that the interest rates are higher. Or some people, the retirees, although I think it's a dangerous move, is that they take this loan and then they go and invest it. But the thing is, I mean, these loans, they don't come free. You take a loan, you got to make a monthly payment for this loan. Mm. And this monthly payment must be paid by cash. So if you are already retired and you have no income and you take a home equity loan, you still have to service this monthly loan repayment. Mm. Of course, some people will go and buy a, a high yield bond thinking that if I buy, you know, I take a loan. In this example that I use, 150000 I take a loan, you know, I go and buy a bond. And they think it's a safe return. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. I get a coupon payment yep. and I use this coupon payment to service my monthly repayment on this loan. I mean, mathematically, it works out, but we forgot that that loan might go under. You might default and then you lose everything and you still have a loan that you have to repay. So it's a dangerous move, especially for a retiree to borrow money to go and invest. Big risk. Yeah. Great advice. Thank you so much for coming by. We're fresh out of time, but we're going to have Christopher Tan back in to take your questions next time he's in. CEO of Provident and Executive Director of Money Owl, Christopher Tan in Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.